Hello, and welcome to In the Limelight, Vanity Fair's entertainment and pop culture podcast. I'm Josh Duboff, Vanity Fair senior writer, and I'm here with Julie Miller, Vanity Fair senior Hollywood writer. On In the Limelight, we analyze the ins and outs of pop culture, entertainment, and celebrity from the past week, from the Kardashians to Kate Middleton and everything in between. On this week's special uh, holiday edition episode, Julie and I spoke to Katie Nichol, a Vanity Fair contributor. Royal expert. Royal expert. She's also the author of Harry, Life, Loss, and Love, a book which came out earlier this year. She's been tracking the royal family for years. She was able to give us some incredible details about how the royal family will be spending their Christmas down to what kind of gifts they'll be giving each other. She also spoke about the rumors of a Meghan-Kate feud. I feel like we really touched on every topic that we've discussed on the podcast in the past few months and that you guys are excited to hear about. It's a jam-packed episode. It was a full-on interrogation. Like, we were (laughs) asking someone about, I don't even know what. We were spellbound. Katie had so much good info and intel to share with us, so I think you guys will really enjoy this interview. We're so excited to have Katie Nichol with us today via Skype to chat all things Royals leading into the Christmas holiday. I mean, it seems like there's just so much excitement about everything related to Kate, Megan, Harry, William right now. We're so excited to be talking to you at this particular moment. What are you looking at the most for what we can be looking for when they're all at Sandringham? What sort of things should people be looking out for? What what are we going to see from like the spectator standpoint? Well... Firstly, it's lovely to be on with you, and I'm a huge admirer of both of your your work and your reports, and it, it's lovely to, to join you down the line on Skype and do this podcast, so really, really nice to join you. I'm a big fan of In the Limelight. Um, so I think probably I'll be watching for what everyone else is going to be watching for, which is, you know, the body chemistry between what was coined at the beginning of the year, the Fab Four, but actually doesn't seem quite so fabulous, um, dare I say. So I, I'm definitely going to be watching for the, for the body, body language between those four, how close they are. I mean, I remember last year, they did actually pose up for a member of the public, Um made that woman's day you know i've been up on uh, at sandringham around christmas time and particularly on christmas morning you know these crowds these these well-wishers get up at the crack of dawn they're waiting outside um st mary magdalene church whether it's snowing whether it's pouring with rain um it's always freezing cold and uh, they 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 literally stand for hours to get a glimpse of the royals to get a chance to give a bouquet to give a christmas card and the royals are incredibly generous with their time so Last year, there was a huge amount of excitement because obviously it was the first time that Meghan was spending Christmas with the royal family. It was the first time that we we saw her um, at the church on Christmas Day. And, um, you know, apart from the four of them being together at that royal foundation forum, in fact, I don't think that, I can't remember now whether that had happened by that point. I'm not sure it had. I think it was the first time we we saw them together as a foursome. And so, you know, that was that was just massive. And, you know, from there on in, they were known as the Fab Four. So, yeah, I'll certainly be watching watching the chemistry between those. But, you know, also watching the Queen, um, watching the Duke of Edinburgh. We'll, we'll be hoping very much that he's going to be well enough to be there on Christmas Day. It's, it's a day that, you know, he's traditionally at. He leads all of the royals um, to church. The Queen makes her way there by car. I'm going to be looking at Eugenie. I'm going to be seeing if I spy a baby bump on Eugenie because I'm sure that will be the next big announcement out of the palace. Um, you know, and of course, Jack Brooksbank's first uh, royal Christmas at, at Sandringham as well. So 
you know, I think it's a really exciting time. We've had no guidance on whether the Cambridges will be bringing any of the children. When they go to church with the Middletons in Bucklebury, the children go along. Um, and, you know, I think it would just be so lovely to, to see the children there. So, you know, you, you never know. This might be the year where they, where they decide to perhaps bring Charlotte and George because those children have shown that they can behave themselves impeccably. You know, really, there's, there's no reason for them to not be there. So let's let's watch. But I shall be, um, I shan't be in Sandringham. I'm, I'm busy sort of doing Christmas with my own family, but I shall certainly be, be watching all the coverage on the television because I think, you know, this year more than any other, that body language is going to be absolutely fascinating. And, and my sources tell me that the Sussexes and the Cambridges, you know, they're very, very keen to put on a show of being united. Um, you know, these rift rumours have rocked the royal family. Meghan particularly has had six months in the press of just glowing headlines. And so I think to have had a, an onslaught, you know, that's the only word for it. It's media to really be on the receiving end of some very negative coverage. You know, this is an opportunity for them. They can't talk out. They're not going to issue statements. This is an opportunity for them to really project the image that they want to project. And I think we will see um, a show of unity. Whether or not that very staged photo opportunity is going to be enough to sort of squash all of rumours of a rift, well, you know, we'll have to wait and see. I suspect not. But it's going to be very interesting to watch. It was really fascinating to read your report on the holiday traditions because they go back. It's... it's they celebrate with such formality. You wrote about all the costume changes. I think there are four or five costume changes a day when the royals are there. There's a sort of pecking order where the lower-ranking royals arrive first. It, it's really incredible to read all those details. But I'm curious, how many royals will actually be at the estate and how much time and focus, how much time do they have to like actually casually converse is there such thing as a casual casual conversation in such a formal climate? And are people going to be talking about this rift within the household? Well, I, I think there will probably be around 30 members of the family there. Because remember, you know, the Queen's family has grown quite substantially. Um, you know, her, her grandchildren are having children. She, she's got, you know, great-grandchildren now. And, um, you know, the invitation goes out from the Queen to to all of her closest members of the family. Now, um, today, uh, she hosted a party at Buckingham Palace for the extended family, you know, the cousins, the second cousins, et cetera, et cetera, because that's really the only way that she can get to see all of her family together. And of course, Buckingham Palace is big enough. Now, Sandringham, which is her Norfolk estate, isn't, I mean, it's big, you know, you and I would look at it and say, <laughs> but actually... You know, compared to somewhere like Balmoral or Buckingham Palace, it's not that big. So when you've got, um, you know, just the close family members who are now sort of totaling about 30, descending on Master Sandringham, and they spill out out of the main house into some of the staff cottages and some of the other cottages on the estate. And um, so it can be slightly cramped. Um, but I think with with that also comes, um, whilst it's formal, and, and you're quite right, Julie, you know, everything runs to clockwork. It is meticulous. The timing is meticulous. It is all um, on the Queen's instruction. She chooses everything, you know, down to what it, what drinks are served before dinner to, you know, everything on the menu. So she's very involved with it. But I think from what I hear, it, it once those formalities are out the way, um, 
whilst it's probably not as informal as perhaps our Christmases where, you know, we just want to chill out in pyjamas and, and catch up on the telly, it, it does get informal at points. And, and, you know, they do sit and have good conversations. And um, they love to play after dinner parlour games. The Queen is a great mimic and, and loves nothing more than to sort of enjoy her time uh, playing a game of charades with her family. So, you know, it's not all stiff formality, um, you know, addressing everyone in very formal terms. I think it, it does get more relaxed, but it is a royal Christmas nonetheless. And so all of the um, traditions and etiquettes that come with a royal Christmas and those strict timings, you know, you cannot be late for drinks and you do not leave for bed until the Queen um, ha has signalled that, that, that she's going to bed. All of that is in play. But, but don't forget, this is still one big family with all the dramas that come with a big family. Um, whether or not those rifts are going to be discussed or not, who knows? I, I think it's probably very unlikely. But, you know, there might be a moment over Christmas where um, the Queen is able to, to spend some time with, with Meghan, have a quiet word with Meghan. I'm told that, uh, that, that Her Majesty has been incredibly supportive to Meghan throughout all of this. Um, you know, there's no suggestion that, that Meghan is getting the cold shot from the Queen. Um, the Prince of Wales has also been very, very supportive. They know what it's like to be on the receiving end of, of negative headlines. Um, you know, th there have been enough rifts within the Windsor family. It, this isn't this isn't alien to them. And, and I think, you know, their, their key concern is just that Meghan, who let's not forget in all of this, is six months. We think about six months pregnant. And um, I think she's had a lot of support from the family, which which has probably been invaluable to her, I would have thought, because she's had a tough ride. I know so many of our listeners are interested in this kind of notion of how real is the feud? How much, you know, is there actually any sort of bad blood between Harry and William, between Kate and Meghan? I know you've done some such amazing reporting on all of this. What's your take right now on just sort of how much do you think it's the media sort of focusing on this versus what's actually going on between either Meghan and Kate or William and Harry in terms of, I mean, especially with them moving, you know, out uh, 25 miles from London, you know, do, like, how much do you think it's actually real versus something that people are reading too much into maybe? Well, look, I can only ever report on what I'm told from, from my sources and I'm no different to any other royal reporter in that way, you know, my stories are only good as my sources. The, these are sources who, who are close to the members of the royal family. Um, but, you know, a lot of what you hear is hearsay. But I was I was always told that, um, that the duchesses had never actually fallen out as such. I, I was told that there wasn't a hugely close friendship, that they didn't have a huge amount in common. But this idea of there being some big fallout was, was certainly not what I was hearing. I had heard the rumours about... Um, uh, Megan reducing Kate to tears or, or Kate ending up in tears um, over that dress fitting. I think, you know, quite a few of us had had heard that. And the fact that it was published in such a reputable newspaper as the Daily Telegraph does seem to le you know, lend credence to that story, as does the fact that it hasn't been denied. And I think that's really interesting. You know, the palace have, have only, I think, denied one element of one story in the Sun's coverage on this whole rift. Nothing else has been commented upon. I always say that there is no smoke without fire. But I think by the same token, I think, it, you know, it's, it's quite a sad reflection on the media in many ways that there was, I think, a degree of inevitability about this rift. That, you know, the idea of two duchesses having a catfight, um, falling out, not getting on, was, was to a degree probably inevitable, too irresistible in terms of headlines for, for the media to leave alone. But, but I think there is an element of truth to it. You know, they... 
they didn't get on as well as certainly Harry had hoped that they would. They're very, very different women. And, you know, I think, Julie, you and I talked about this when you were writing your piece, that Kate was at a, a stage in her life when Meghan came onto the scene. She was pregnant with Louis. She was juggling home life um, with royal engagements. Then, of course, Louis came along and she had her hands full with three little ones. Also, Kate's very established in her own royal circles, with her own friendship groups, with her own family. And I, I think she did try and make Meghan feel welcome, but possibly she didn't have a huge amount of free time to make Meghan feel as welcome as perhaps Meghan and Harry might have liked. So I think some of it's down to circumstance, but I think the majority is down to the fact that they are very different people. Um, you know, there's cultural differences there as well. You know. I've met Kate many times and she's very much, you know, very demure, very much the English rose, softly spoken, not a huge extrovert, actually naturally quite shy. Um, you know, Megan is a very different woman in that respect. She's very self-assured. She's very confident. She's very much an extrovert. So you just wonder if perhaps there's those two characters just haven't sat um so well side by side but you know I think the real story and, and as I've revealed um, on VF.com was that the real tensions the the rift the the the, the, um, the feud for want of another word was very much between the princes and and I was told that um, it, Harry felt that William hadn't been as supportive of the relationship from the outset Harry very much wanted um, his brother's seal of approval over the relationship and and Kate's seal of approval. And I think when William um, sort of just voiced a bit of caution and just said, you know, this is moving really quickly, are you sure? Um, what was intended as, you know, brotherly advice for Harry's own good, you know, that Harry just just interpreted that as, well, I'm not I'm not getting what I wanted from my brother. I'm, I'm not getting the seal of approval. And I think he I think he was quite upset by that. I don't think Things have completely recovered since then. But, you know, the suggestion that the brothers aren't talking to each other, that is just not what I'm told. I, I just think there have been issues. There have been tensions. And again, a degree of inevitability about that, because, you know, for all of these years, Harry has been in William's shadow. You know, I've just that the book I just did recently on, on Harry, the biography, so many of, of their friends said to me that, Harry spent his whole life looking up to his brother, feeling measured against his brother. It must have been so tough for Harry growing up as the spare. You know, from the little boy, he was aware that he was different to his brother, that William was going to be king. Harry's had to find a role, a meaningful role for himself. And I think that's been hard. And, and I truly believe that in Meghan, he has found someone who has given him a new confidence, a new purpose. And I don't blame him, actually, for wanting to now make his own life. They have is they can they can do things differently and do things the way they want to do you mentioned the episode where that was widely reported about uh megan perhaps causing kate to leave that dress fitting in tears do you have any insight into what happened what any disagreement was around no all, i mean i had i had heard the the story um i i was told that Megan was being quite um, bridezilla-like, as, as, it, as it was told to me, um, over the wedding. I think she was probably very stressed. Um, you know, not only did she have a wedding to contend with that was going to be watched by an audience of billions around the world, she had the whole drama of her father to deal with as well. She, I think she had an idea of, of some of what 
she was giving up to marry into the royal family. I don't think she's, I don't think she had an idea of exactly how much um, and the great extent of what she would be giving up. But I think all of that must have been quite a pressure on her. Um, I don't know what happened at that sitting. You know, the only people that really know what, what happened were the people that was there were there. But I think clearly, you know, Kate had just given birth. She was probably quite hormonal, probably quite emotional about the whole thing. And perhaps it was just, you know, just something that sent her over the edge. But, you know, Kate's a tough cookie. I know she has a reputation for being a bit of a, a wallflower. She, she's a, a tough cookie. And I think, it, yeah, something must have really upset her to, to have had her in tears. It's, that's not that's not typically her. Um, what's your sense, um, you know, obviously with Charles turning 70 this year and there have been so much, you know, I feel like he's even had more of a media profile than he has maybe in the past this past year, sort of how he's feeling about both of his sons going through this transition period. And, you know, I know he's very close to both of them in different ways, but what's your understanding of sort of what his and Camilla's role is and sort of maybe what's been going on with these rumors recently with the feud, but also just how they how Charles is relating to Harry and William right now? Well, I, I, I think two things, really. I think that Harry's relationship with his father has actually improved a huge amount since Meghan came on the scene. And I think you know, that's clearly only a good thing. I, I, I mean, Harry and his dad have always been close, but, um, you know, in terms of their relationship, there was certainly room for improvement and, and opportunities for them to spend more time together. Charles is incredibly hardworking and I think you know on many occasions family has had to come second and I think you know Megan has very much been a catalyst for um, improving that relationship Harry and Megan have spent quite a lot of time with Charles sort of re- reported again for, for you guys on the holiday that they enjoyed the Castle of May last summer um, it's something that Harry's never done before but to spend the best part of a week with his dad which apparently was was a wonderful wonderful week so there is a closeness there. And I think certainly to me and all the interviews that we've seen um, ahead of Charles turning 70, a big milestone age for him and, and a big moment for, for him, he seems to be um, so much happier um, with Camilla by his side. He he seems to be a very contented man who who is ready to embrace his future role. And I think in many ways, he's been quite a peacemaker between William and Harry, you know, he adores his sons. Um, they, you know, they are very much um, a trio together. And I think, you know, there have been occasions where he stepped in to sort of smooth things over. And uh, I had been told that this time last year in the run up to Christmas, that, you know, William and Harry had had a, a, a bit of a fallout. And it was Charles who had sort of patched things up and suggested to William that he invited the Sussexes, as they were then, Harry and Meghan, to spend Christmas at Anmer, which is the Cambridge's country bolt hole. And, uh, you know, that was Charles's way of making the peace and sort of bringing, bringing the force them together. So, you know, Charles won't want these rumours of, of a rift continuing into 2019. The Queen won't. You know, I'm told that they're both very keen for, for everything to be resolved um, and, and for things to be smooth. Because don't forget that the, the Windsors have been badly rattled by bad press in the past. You know, family fallouts and feuds. They don't do anything for the for the good image of the monarchy. You know, the, the Queen is, she's 92. She just, I think she just wants to have um, a happy family who, um, you know, who are portraying a very positive image to the world. 
The other father in the situation, Thomas Markle, how much of a shadow is his continuing interviews, his his courting of the press, casting on the royal family? Is there any tension, any resentment of Meghan for maybe not being able to control the situation? Will this come up at all during the holidays? I, I don't think there's any resentment towards Meghan. I don't think Meghan is, is being blamed in any way for this situation. I, I'm told that the Queen is very keen for, for the situation to be resolved, but a resolution clearly isn't that simple. Um, I, I, as I said to you, I think she's been very, very supported by, by Charles, by the Queen. They are no strangers to, to family feuds and, and controversies and fallouts. You know, they are well used to all of this, but they also know how damaging it can be. So I think everyone is of the opinion that, that if it can be resolved, it should be resolved. And I think really the, you know, the buck stops at Harry and Meghan and, and it's, it's got to be down to them to, um, to reach out to Thomas Markle, either to go and visit him or for Harry to go and visit him and to sort this out because this situation is not going to go away. Thomas Markle, people keep saying, well, he'll run out of things to say. He may well run out of, of revelations and, and some of the perhaps more controversial things that he's he's had to say, but I don't think he'll ever tire of telling the world that he loves his daughter and he wants to make peace with her. I loved reading what you reported on VanityFair.com about the gift exchanges at the holiday itself and how they give, I guess, these sort of informal gifts to each other. I was surprised to learn. Can you talk a little bit about that tradition and any examples you can give of past? When it comes to Christmas gifting, um, you know, what do you get the Queen? In Harry's case, he got her a, a, a shower cap with a very cheeky slogan, which she which absolutely loved. Um, he, he's bought a whoopee cushion before for the for the um, for Prince Philip and slipped that under the seat so that it went off when when the Duke sat down for Christmas dinner. So of course that got everyone giggling. Um, you know anything that's homemade goes down very well. So I remember one year um, Kate gifted I think it was homemade pots of jam to um, to members of the family. So you never know. Meghan might take signed copies of her cookbook, um, or maybe she might choose to. You know she baked a mean banana bread. When she was out in Australia, maybe she'll bake something and um, to, to to bring to the Christmas table. Um, I think she, you know, she will have been told that over the top extravagant gifts don't go down well. So she won't be doing what Princess Diana famously did, which was buying everyone cashmere jumpers. And Diana was was just hugely embarrassed when everyone opened them up and was, you know, overwhelmed with how much she'd spent on them. You know, the smaller the better. And if you can, you know, bring some sense of humour in there, like Harry does, then you're then you're off to a flying start. We all have kind of a wacky relative. What's the best probability maybe of someone kind of drinking too much? Does anyone do that? Does anyone like go unhinged during the holidays? I'd love to tell you they, they do. But really, I think you know everyone is on, on best behavior. I mean, a lot of the royal family actually don't drink. Prince Andrew's a teetotal. I mean, the Queen does enjoy um, a drink. Um, uh, Charles enjoys a drink. But I think you know, everything in, in moderation. And, you know, I think actually Prince Harry's drinking days are well and truly behind him. Everything I hear is that he's gone down a very lean, green, L.A. Stark mm. lifestyle, all thanks to Meghan. So, no, don't think you're going to get any drunken dancing on the table. There was also a report uh, that Doria received this kind of historical invitation because I guess the Middletons haven't been invited, but I guess she passed on that. Do you have any insight as to why she passed? No, I, I mean, the Middletons actually have been invited to Sandringham before. They, they, they've been invited to attend church before. So 
Um, you know, they, they have been sort of invited into the fold, but I, I think the Queen was very keen to um, make sure that Meghan wasn't in an awkward situation when it came to Christmas, because of course her, her mother is her only family now. Um, and being in LA, you know, Meghan would have been faced with quite a difficult decision of choosing between, you know, her first um, proper royal Christmas as a member of the royal family in Sandringham, or, or going to LA. And I think it was always going to be the case that she would be having Christmas here with her new family. But I think the Queen felt that it would make it much easier for Meghan if Doria was invited. I don't know why she's um, why she's turned the invitation down. I mean, po possibly she just wants to relax and normal Christmas where she can have a few drinks. Um, but um, no, I think I think what will happen is the couple will do what the Cambridges do, which is have two Christmases essentially and have their, you know, the duty bound Christmas with the Royals. And then I, I'm told that they will spend some time with Doria, more likely than not over here at their home in the Cotswolds and sort of do a second Christmas with Doria, which will be certainly more more relaxed and, and informal. And, and I would imagine more to Doria's taste. One of the stories I know you've been following closely and reported a lot on and we've been following as well is this kind of the Megan's staff and the people that have come, you know, the, the Melissa, her aide who has left and then Samantha Cohen, I know, is still working with her but is going to be leaving. What have you heard about sort of what actually is going on there? Is there actual tension? Is it more? Just, is this a normal thing that you've noticed in your role reporting that, you know, aides leave and come and go? Or do you think there is actually some sort of uh, there's more to it than that? Well, usually the aides stick around for, for quite some time. I mean, if you if you look at William, you know, he he um, he kept his last uh, private secretary, you know, in, in one capacity or another for about 10 years. That was Miguel Head. Um, so generally, there's not a very high turnaround on staff. So I think these stories have made headlines. And um, clearly, there does seem to have been some issue with um, with Melissa, the PA, who left quite abruptly. She she clearly done a very good job in the run up to the to the wedding, and I think you know obviously found um, it perhaps too stressful, possibly Megan a little bit too uh, demanding, or certainly that seemed to be the suggestion. Um, and perhaps she you know perhaps she just couldn't handle the pressure of that job. It is very very pressurized. I mean, you know when you when you know the the work of courtiers, um, it they're very long hours. There's a huge amount of pressure that comes with it. And, um, you know, it's not it's not for everyone. I think the couple were very much hoping that Samantha Cohen, who is their joint private secretary, would stay on. Um, but she always made it very clear that she was going to be there for a interim period until the couple found a new private secretary. And I think the search is now on for some new members of staff, a new private secretary, and obviously um, a, a new PA and, and possibly more than more than two new members of staff but um it is unusual for there to be a spate of staff leaving like that and that i think does hint at differences of opinion um, and again you know we talked about there being different cultural aspects to all of this and you know this notion of megan sending very very early 5am emails you know in la that's that is probably very usual you know she gets up she does her yoga people start work far earlier in the morning um, on the West Coast. And I, I just think that's just not sat very well with courtiers over here who are incredibly hardworking, but things sort of tend to happen um, a, a little more gradually when they happen, you know, it's all been very well thought out and very well planned. Um, and it tends not to happen at five o'clock in the morning. <laughs>
I've heard that very much the holiday celebrations kind of center around the queen, that everybody has to wait until she turns in, that I guess she plays certain games and maybe people have to let her win. Usually children, at least in American households, I feel like are the center of attention during these holiday situations. So how do kind of the children, how will George and Charlotte come into play? Do they have a separate kids table? Is there any sort of, Do they, I assume they have Santa. In London, do they have any sort of Santa arrival, or I, I have no idea. I know that Santa is is a, is a regular um, guest Middleton's household, and that's a tradition that dates back to Kate's childhood. I've, I've never heard of Prince Philip dressing up as, as Santa, <laughs> but that, that's why they think it's still a it's still a lot of fun for for the children at Sandringham. Um, you, the Queen um, on Christmas Eve, there's a lovely tradition where um, the great grandchildren are all invited in at about four o'clock in the afternoon to help put the final touches to the Queen's Christmas tree, um, which they love. Um, remember that the dinner, um, that the, the traditional Christmas dinner is an evening black tie affair. So um, children are not a part of that. Um, but, uh, but you know, they are there for, for some of the celebrations. They're there on the, on the Boxing Day hunt. They're there for the, um, for the, for the lunch on Christmas Day after church. And, um, you know, I suppose as they get older, they, they will become more a part of Christmas, but um, not for the main meal itself, because, as I said, that's a black tie evening affair, not not for children. I can't even imagine that black tie affair. Like You see, and this is where I feel quite sorry for Megan, because, it, you know, it, being being pregnant, um, getting out around all of these new traditions and, and five outfit changes a day. I mean, that really is quite something. Apparently, she's commissioned a, a number of bespoke maternity frock coats and dresses and just to make sure that she's she's properly attired because you know that that is just exhausting without being six months pregnant but being six months pregnant gosh you know I take my hat off to her and talking of hats she's got several options for Christmas day um she knows that that will be expected of her in the company of the queen and I don't think she's going to need reminding to curtsy this time around as she did uh, last year. In your report, you noted the hunt that happens every Sandringham Christmas. Um, and I know Megan probably will not, most definitely not be taking part, but there's question of if Harry will, right? Or what have you heard about if Harry is actually going to participate? Well, you know what? I, I, I've had conversations with Prince Harry about hunting and I've said to him, well, how can you be promoting an, an organisation like United for Wildlife? And hunting, you know, doesn't... it it doesn't sit very well for, for people. But, you know, I think the royal family are of the opinion that hunting, shooting, fishing, it it is part of their heritage. It is part of their culture. Um, and it is something that they plan to continue to do. I I would be very surprised if, if Harry's completely giving up, given up hunting. Um, but, you know, it remains to be seen whether he goes on that hunt. And the truth is we probably won't know because several years ago, the Queen... Um, essentially forbade photographers from accessing the Sandringham estate. She wrote to newspaper editors and said that she would take legal action if her family were photographed during that private time. So uh, we, we probably won't actually know whether he's taken part in the hunt or not. But I think you're right, Josh, that there's not a cat in house chance of Megan getting involved in the hunt. Yes. Well, she might well just use that as a chance to take her dogs for a walk because I think actually their dogs have been invited um, to join the family for Christmas Day as well. So you know, you know how much the Queen loves loves canines. She really does. What about Beatrice? I heard she has a new boyfriend. Do you have any insight onto that? 
I've not heard much on that at all. Um, I, I know that she was, um, this year in many ways, been quite difficult for her because, of course, Eugenie is the younger of the two and yet the first to marry. Um, and uh, I, I think that's probably been quite difficult for Beatrice. I know that she was hugely happy for Eugenie and um, and a big fan of Jack's. But listen, if if she's in a happy relationship, then you know maybe maybe at some point down the line we we'll we'll get you know another great announcement out of Buckingham Palace because I think Beatrice is desperate um, to settle down. So I hope for her sake she's found her Mr. Right. There's been so much royal action this year, the, the two royal weddings, etc. What are you looking forward to in 2019? What stuff do you feel like? Obviously, the Meghan and Harry's child is, is a big event that will be coming. But what else are you looking forward to in the next year in the royal family? Well, I mean, I, I have heard the rumours that there's going to be um, another tour for the Sussexes in the autumn um, to the States and Canada. So, I mean, that would be hugely exciting and, you know, and, and, and for them to be taking baby along for that. So, definitely be excited about that as i said i think it's there's every chance we'll get another baby announcement with um with eugenie and jack brooksbank um i think next year marks the the um, prince of wales's 50th year um since his investiture as the prince of wales so while this has been a big year for charles turning 70 i think next year could be a big year for him as well and um you know continuing to see this family take center stage um, to watch the younger royals take on more responsibilities. It's going to be really interesting to see the patronages um, that, that Meghan takes on. I think there are big plans for Kate in terms of the charity work that she's doing, you know, and hopefully we'll get some more snapshots of those gorgeous Cambridge children growing up because I think they just add an element of charm and joy to the whole wonderful narrative um, that is our royal family. We watch to see what 2019 has to hold. But, um, you know, this has been a pretty epic year for the royal family. Two royal babies, two royal weddings. And, you know, they really do seem to be going from strength to strength. And I think and I think Duchess of Sussex has to take a huge amount of credit for that um, surge in their popularity, um, you know, particularly over in the States where you know I do a lot of work. And the, the royal family have always been popular and always loved over in, in the US. But I think to have an American marry into the royal family has just... Mm -hmm seen that move onto a completely different level and um yeah you know we 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 watch with interest but i'm loving covering them and i'm really looking forward to a busy 2019 amazing thank you so much katie yeah thank you merry christmas thank you that does it for this week's episode of in the limelight thank you guys so much for listening please remember to rate review check us out on apple Podcasts. we really appreciate it and now you can reach out and leave us a voicemail that number is 347-790-0966 you can also reach out to us on twitter at in the limelight or individually i'm at julie w miller and i'm at j duboff we're also on instagram at in the limelight pod this episode was edited and produced by danielle roth thanks so much for joining us we'll talk to you next week and until then no, no bad, bad energy. energy.